Hello, this is Dr. Nancy, and you're listening to Smart, Amazing Conversations with Dr. Nancy. Supporting women is my passion and my purpose, and talking with other women and men who promote women's leadership is one of my favorite things to do. Their stories connect us and help us all to understand that we can do anything if we come together and support each other and lift women up. These amazing conversations gave me the stories and the wisdom for my earlier book, Leading Women, and they also inspired my new book, which came out 2019, called In This Together, How Successful Women Support Each Other in Work and Life. This week, I'm pleased to welcome Michelle Weldon. Michelle is an award-winning author, journalist, and emerita faculty in journalism at Northwestern University, where she taught for 18 years. She is the author of six nonfiction books and the award-winning editorial director of Take the Lead, whose mission is to propel women to parity in all sectors by 2025. This is where I also serve as the president of the board. I'm very proud of that. Michelle received a 2020 Chicago Journalist Award for Best Independent Blog for her work on Take the Lead website in 2019. Her first book, I Close My Eyes was reprinted in seven languages and was featured with the author on the Oprah Winfrey Show. Her essays have appeared in the New York Times, Washington Post, Time, Forbes, Cosmopolitan, and of course, many, many more. She has delivered more than 200 keynotes and appeared on TV, radio, and digital outlets globally. Michelle also serves as a senior leader for OBAD Project on the advisory board of many, many social profit organizations. Her new book of essays came out in September, and it's already won an award for best essay. It's called Act Like You're Having a Good Time. So I'm very pleased to welcome Michelle Weldon back to Smart Amazing Conversations with Dr. Nancy and find out about this new book. Welcome. Well, good morning, Michelle. Thank you for speaking to me today. Another book. Jeez, another book. <laughs> you you are something. There's no doubt about it. Welcome. Glad to talk to thank you today. Thank you so much. Oh, I'm thrilled to be here. I, thank you. I, I like the title. And this is so important right now. Act as if you're having a good time. Probably right now. <laughs> probably right now. That's probably about what, what a lot of us are doing. We're trying to fake it till we make it since we really, really don't know what is going on. So each day is a new opportunity, and that's the way I'm looking at it. Hopefully something good comes from it every single day. At least that's what I'm trying to believe in my, in my own mind. So, all right, well, I'm going to talk about you first, because okay. what's important is your story. You are a storyteller, and you connect others with stories. But the most important story right now is your story. How did you get to be the Michelle that I'm talking to today. And this book, of course, tells me a lot, but why don't you just tell everyone about yourself? How'd you get to be you? Oh, well, thanks so much for uh, asking that and for letting me uh, share with you what all this happened with me. Actually, the title of this book, Act Like You're Having a Good Time, comes from my father. When we were growing up, there's six of us in seven and a half years. And if we ever wouldn't do what we were asked to do or do a chore or we, you know, mm-hmm. acted out of sorts, my father would just say, well, then act like you're having a good time. He would have yeah. none of it, there were no refusal. So that was uh, being positive was always ingrained in me. And uh-huh. also back when I was 
small, I had a dream of being a storyteller, and I had my own newspaper when I was 10. It was called the Juvenile <laughs> Journal. <laughs> the what? And Ju- the, juvenile Journal? <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. And it was, I typed it up. It was uh, about four to, to six pages, stapled. Wow. Um, and it was a monthly and my father would mail them to my subscribers who paid 50 cents a year. And I would uh-huh. write about what's happening in my family, what's happening in the neighborhood, what's happening, you know, anything I thought about, watched on TV. And yeah. then I said to my dad uh, how well I was doing, and I was so great at this. And he said, well, you know, you've never paid me for postage. So I wasn't exactly <laughs> <laughs> a great businesswoman. Oh. But I have always been a storyteller and found a great delight and respite in telling not just my stories but other people's stories. So I've had a career as a journalist, you know, for four decades, working for newspapers and magazines, and I also taught journalism at Northwestern University for 18 years and have been working with the op-ed project for 10 years, and also with Take the Lead for almost five. Yeah. So storytelling, my own story, and actually the stories of others, is really a driving force in my life. Yeah. And where do you think this passion came from? I, I know you talk a lot about your mother and your father, and you had a very, uh, you had a very Aussie and Harriet kind of growing up in the, the Midwest. <laughs> you, you had strong faith in your family. You had strong connections in your family. Your, your family was very connected, and your mother and your father were both very influential in your life. But where did the passion come from, do you think? I think I wanted always, because I was the youngest of six, I always wanted to be noticed and to stand out. Yeah. And I wasn't particularly good at anything else. I mean, I wasn't a a great athlete, and, um, you know, I I loved school, but I was a very big reader, and I started to read really young, uh, probably about four or five. My older sister Madeline taught me to read even before I went to kindergarten because I begged her to. And I think just the idea of, you know, opening a book or a newspaper or a magazine and that people got to write those stories, that that the author or the journalist was behind all that translation of information, that seems so exciting to me. And, you know, I also, you know, saw the cartoons and the comics of Brenda Starr in newspapers. You know, she was that cartoon character who was a reporter back in the 50s and 60s, I think. She was even around in the 70s in newspapers. And and I love to watch Superman on TV, not for him, but for Lois, Lois Lane. Yeah. And um, yeah. I just oh, yeah, identify the, with that. Uh-huh. Yeah, she was she was a cool character, no doubt about it. So so anyway, I guess what you're telling me is that you were meant to do what you were, you're doing even today, to be a writer. This book is interesting. I finished reading it yesterday, and as you call it, essays. And, and I think that helps me to understand a little bit better when I think about the essays, because each, each story has a little bit little different twist, but at least a, there is an idea behind it, and there's something that you, you're having the reader think about. So what is the motivation to write the book at this time? This is my, my sixth book and my, and my first book of essays, which is interesting because I've been an essay writer 
for so many decades, but I never put them together in one place. And yeah. uh, I really wanted to do that. That's been a point for me, a, a goal for like the last five years. And I, you know, didn't know how I would gather them together, what would the theme be, but the theme is life, work, and meaning. And I think uh-huh. uh, a lot of us at this time, so, you know, you as an author yourself of several books, you understand lead times, right? So this book right. I yeah. turned in in January, and COVID had not happened. So the editor and publisher allowed me to do um, some ads as late as June to include you know, the global unrest about the pandemic as well as of protests on, um, you know, racial injustice, I got to add a few things to put it in context because otherwise it was just completely out of the blue. So um, I think then in the context of that, of this time in 2020, this book speaks to women like myself and women of other ages and, and men as well about uh what are you doing to create purpose and meaning in your life? And are you enough? And is the work that you're doing um, purposeful? You know, and I question that. And, um, you know, I'm 62 years old, and I definitely have more behind me than, than ahead. I don't think I'm going to live to be 124. So, um, you know, it's about time to take inventory of what I've done and what am I going to do to make impact, to create change, and and to be, you know, a person who just isn't a a good person for her immediate circle, but that affects change in the world in in a good way. Well, you you talk about something that which is very, very close to my own heart, Women Connect for Good, which is really women finding their voice, finding their their passion, finding their purpose, and then connecting and supporting one another. And, And that's you know, that's something that a lot of women that I know probably will not, you know, as they've grown older, aren't necessarily doing a lot of that. I mean, if, it, if anything, maybe less. I mean, so it's it really is an opportunity for us. I, I think COVID, well, let's just talk about COVID and throw that in here now because I think COVID has really helped define a lot of things for people. I mean, especially right. you. you. I mean, you and I can both work in front of our computers and do Zoom meetings, okay. but there are people out in the world that are no longer in those jobs that are really having to rethink what's important. You know, who's important, what's important, who do I want to spend time with, and probably some of these people have been spending time with people they are finally going, you know what, <laughs> maybe, maybe I want to, <laughs> want to rethink this, uh, this relationship after all. But, but I think COVID has really helped me personally to reach out to people that I really want to reach out to and support. I mean, I think this has been the time that, you know, it's been a time to reconnect with family members, with lost, you know, friends that you've lost along the way. But speak to that just a little bit, because this book really resonates when it comes to people connecting and, and really reaching out for one another. Well, you know, I, I agree with you, and thanks for for that, Nancy, because I said with this pandemic, you could go one of two ways. You can be isolated and insulated and, you know, just have your world be really small and finite and and safe and um, connect just with a handful of people who in your immediate circle. Or you can take this opportunity to realize that everyone is connecting and networking globally and make an attempt to, to broaden your life 
and to have impact and to do more mentoring. You know, a lot of people say they have more time on their hands, and my, my work is thankfully up a lot, but I'm not commuting. So I've, yeah. you know, shaved hours off my day. I'm not traveling for work anymore when I was traveling one right. to four times a month. So that's days I, I have saved. So with that time, you know, what am I going to do with it? What, what shall I do and how can I make an impact? And I'm, you know, like yourself who is so involved with, with philanthropy. I'm on five different advisory boards and um, each of them have a different mission. And so I feel like that's a good use of my time. That's a good use yeah. as well. You know, people who ask me for help, you know, I'm thinking of writing a book or younger journalists or how do I get into that or can you help me do this? And, and uh, I say yes. You know, I have a, in a few hours a call with a friend of my middle son's from grade school who's thinking about writing um, a book. He has lost, unfortunately, lost both of his parents quite recently. And uh, wow. I said, sure. Yeah, I mean, right? And, and maybe, you know, nine months ago I would have said, I do not have time. Yeah, that, that and, is interesting, though, because, yeah, we have time now. And what do we do with it? <laughs> That's interesting. Right. There's no doubt about it. I'm not at lunch or dinner, you know. It's like, yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Yeah, the, the, our our dance cars aren't full anymore, you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> well, no, it's a great book, and it talks about many, many different areas. And I think the one, uh, and you even talk about, you know, and this is one, uh, I'm involved with another group, uh, Diversity Women, and they have Diversity Women's Magazine, Business Magazine, and Dr. Sheila Robinson. And you talk about, mm-hmm. again, white women, because this is something mm-hmm. also with what's been going on in our world. I mean, you do, you do bring up many, many social issues throughout the book, and I think this one is especially good, and one to really read about is the privilege as white women. Well, I did a, a symposium with another, a group of other women. Most of them were women of color. And this woman came up to me, and she goes, what's wrong with you white women? And I went, excuse me? She goes, what's wrong with you white women? She said, you had affirmative action. What did you do with it? And then she went on, and then she said it again, what's wrong with you white women? (laughs) And I finally Mm -hmm. looked at her, and I actually said to her, and it came out, and this is the best thing I could think of. I said, we don't really like each other. And I think I really, (laughs) at that point, she stopped. And I thought to myself, you know, this is something, you and I both know, women can be their best, can be, be mentors and help one another, or they can also be their own worst enemy. So when you talk about white privilege, what are you kind of pointing out for the, for the reader? So um, thank you for noticing that. That chapter caused me so much anguish, you know, whether or not to include it at all in a book that is, you know, yeah. somewhat lighthearted and humorous in points. Um, and I thought, I can't avoid this subject of, of no, what we can't. whiteness we can't. We have to have... has done for me and what it means to me. And yeah. um, I also feel like uh, white women are put in a monolith. And it's like, uh, and the viral videos of women screaming in Central Park at, at a bird watcher or at Chipotle or, you know, someone in a park, uh, white women, you know, being racist and doing, you know, calling on people who are trying to deliver meals, that doesn't help. I mean, no. that is actually really harmful. But 
I don't know anyone personally who would do that. I would never personally do that. And while it can be offensive to some people to say, well, only some white women do that, I, I feel that it's uh, not fully representative to just say white women X. You know, yeah. yes, there are white women who are um, terribly racist and harmful and uh, do criminal acts, absolutely. But there are also white women, you know, like yourself, who, who, do, mm-hmm. who do good in the world, you know, are intentional about being inclusive and working for equity and, and creating partnerships and wanting everyone to succeed. And like yourself, I have also encountered women in, and white women in my uh, career were not out to help anyone else, you know, who no. wanted to be the, the only one at the top of the mountain and was going to yeah. throw any other woman off. And I yeah. mean, well, the, these women have not learned to be managers or to compete fairly. They've just learned to be aggressive, you know. Yeah, I know. Right. It's, it's been it's an in- interesting journey. But again, you and I have been lucky to find like-minded women. You know, what you're doing That's and what, right. what Women Connect for Good is doing is building a community and a community of men and women who really get it, understand that we're not going to get anywhere until we support and connect with each other. And that's, that seems to be the most important thing that we need to do, especially now. And it seems that's, the most difficult thing for people to do. That's right. And acknowledge that, you know, fully the privilege that I have, that I was given things automatically, that I did not have economic stress in my life. I didn't worry about certain things. And in that chapter I write about growing up and how, you know, I just had no idea that there were, you know, socioeconomic uh, travesties that were associated with being a person of color. I just had no idea. It wasn't talked yeah. about in, in my school. I didn't learn about it. You know, it wasn't that my parents hid it from us, but it just wasn't a topic. And yeah. um, that's regrettable. And I certainly raised my sons differently. But, yeah, that's where it is. And that, that is how I was raised. And I think I have to acknowledge that, yes, I'm lucky. Yes, I am blessed. But I do not harbor those same racist, horrible <laughs> attributes yeah. that are we see every day on YouTube of yeah. women screaming at someone uh, in, in a horrible you know, well, way. What I, what I like about your book is that you touch on many, many different topics, and, and some of them, you know, we do have to have uncomfortable conversations and tough conversations, and I think that that's also comes with age is that when we, when we become more confident, and we do find our voice, and we do become more and more passionate about what we can do to change the world for good, take the lead, Women Connect for Good, what you're doing with your keynotes, is people really want some good news right now. I think right now is the good news time. This country has to have the leadership it needs for, for us to be the United States of America again, that it used to be, that people were proud to be uh, an American, any, not that we're getting to go to Europe, but a lot of times they say, if you go to Europe, tell them you're Canadian. You know, I mean, this is crazy. We have got <laughs> to get back to a place where we're really proud to be who we are. And as women, 
you know, I think this is our opportunity right now because we do understand. Uh, I like Dr. Sheila Robinson. She, she talks about the dinner table. She says those women that control the dinner table, you know, really control, can control a lot of different things. And Gloria talks about the recipe for cake. You know, there's ingredients that women seem to understand that are needed to move us right. forward, especially in these coming days. So what, what, what are your thoughts about that? Do you think you're writing about all these ideas and topics? Where do you think we are with, uh, with that right now? Because we've got a big election coming up in November. Right. Well, I think we need to treat each other from every level, from in our homes to, you know, uh, at, at the highest political positions with empathy and respect. And I think the name calling and the finger pointing and all of that need, needs to stop at every level and, and to understand that there are a lot of people really, really hurting right now. And, you know, sure. millions are unemployed. And, and I look at, you know, my younger friends who are working and homeschooling their children, you know, with yeah. having to be on the Double timing. with all right. I'm like, oh. Thank God, that would so not have worked in my house with my my three sons by myself. That that would have ended very badly. And I think that acknowledging that people have, you know, real burdens and worries and, you know, not to mention the COVID crisis that, you know, you could get, you know, on a bus, right, or waiting in line or someone, you know, sure. coughs on you at, at, at the grocery store. Um, it just it feels like such a tenuous, difficult, challenging time. So the best we can be is empathic and kind and generous of ourselves with other people and understanding yeah. and not quick to judgment and, and definitely not trying to hurt people or one-up someone else or, or compete too hard uh, at the expense of anyone. Uh, just yeah. sort of, you know, Calm down and recognize the humanity in everyone. Yeah. I, I had a conversation <clears throat> with another author, uh, and he said, he said, the most important thing in the workplace is the word empathy. And I mm-hmm. totally believe that when, I, when he was talking, that we're going to be doing business differently. We, we have to do things differently. Uh, and if anything, it, it really is an opportunity because, you know, inside the workplace you have your customers and you have outside the, the workplace, your customers, you know, and I really see companies inside, you know, your, your five people will tell five other people, you know, one person tells five people, da da, goes on and on. It starts within the workplace. It starts within the culture of the company. But empathy, to me, seems to be the most important thing in our homes, in our communities, and in our workplace, that we truly take time to understand that these are, these are challenging times for everyone, and um, right. just stop for a moment and think about that. Just think how differently we would all be and how, how we all would behave if we just took 10 seconds or five seconds just to stop and go, hey, this, this can be a very tough time for many, many people. That's right. And acknowledging that people, you know, come to a transaction or a Zoom meeting or, you know, a project with so many things you know, pulling on them. You know, and there are the the burdens that that many women carry of of child care and elder care and schooling and all of that, and trying to get ahead and maybe 
you know, taking classes and doing all these different things, that it is not simple, that we don't just arrive completely ready to go, right? That there has yeah. to be... Well, if, you, if you've got a Zoom meeting and you're two, two and three and four-year-old running through the room, you know, it's, <laughs> it, right. it can't be challenging. You better have some empathy for that woman. Well, this is a great right. book, but you also, talk, you also talk about hope. You talk about dreams. You talk about aspirations, but you also talk about people dreaming. And I think this is something we, especially now, you know, don't let go of your dreams. You know, continue to be passionate about what you're, what you're, what's important in this world. But talk about that just a little bit. Yeah, you know, that's right, Nancy. It's really important not to just live day to day, and that is what we are, have been forced to do since March, you know, trying to just get through yeah. uh, Friday so we can get to the weekend or just get yeah. through this meeting or just get through. We've been so focused on the immediate and, and just survival of, of the checklist that um, a lot of us haven't left open the door to possibility for, for other dreams to happen and for yeah. other kinds yeah. of opportunities and connections. And one of those things I do is uh, that I just write about in the book is I, I sketch and I paint, which I did not have time for when my kids were growing up. So I, I do that every weekend now. I take uh, classes and that becomes something I can focus on. And not that I'm selling my work anytime soon, but I am working on another book that is going to include my paintings in it. So that dream is not really connected to a career path, but it, it's a dream. And it's something yeah. I'm, I'm working on. And, and also I think to keep aspiring and keep learning and taking in new information, you know, whether, whether you get an idea from watching a, you know, a TED Talk, like, well, maybe I could do that. Or, you know, something sparks your creativity in an endeavor that you haven't uh, been able to pursue, uh, to be able to do that and to really feed your curiosity and uh, creativity, uh, and that will lead to different kinds of dreams that perhaps you didn't even imagine. Well, I actually started doing a little bit of artwork that I used. I used to paint a lot back when. Right. And kind of when the last piece went off the uh, easel, that was pro- kind of the last time I saw it painting. So I actually picked it back up. I kind of dropped it again because I'm not, <laughs> I'm not excited. I'm not pleased with my work. But, I mean, I have tried different things that I used to do, and many of those things I'm really enjoying again. Yeah, I think that's the thing. Remember things that you really love to do that time would just fly by because you loved doing it so much. So that uh, this, is a, this can be that opportune time as well. All right, okay. let's talk about the book because where can they find it? Where, where can they buy it? And tell us what you really want people to walk away with. What, what would you hope more than anything if somebody sits down, reads, acts as if you're having a good time, and That's right. walks away and goes, yes, yes. Well, I hope that it's it's a respite from the challenging times that we're living in, right? It it yeah. um, is perfect for this time because they're short essays. You can you know read one or two at a time and put it down. You can have a chuckle. You can have a, a thought like, oh, I I think that way too, or I never thought of that. Yeah. You know, because I write yeah. about friendships, I write about uh, memories from childhood, and so many people have told me um, that uh, brought back so many good thoughts 
So it's it's a, a friendly companion that you can, mm-hmm. it's, you know, not intellectually challenging, but it can be emotionally comforting. And we yeah. all need that at this time, I think. It definitely is a feel good. And, and, and for me, also brought back many memories because I was thinking about things that you, uh, you're, like I said, act as if you're having a good time. What uh, I was told and I guess I was pretty verbal when I was much, well, I guess I'm still pretty verbal, but I guess as a child <laughs> I was pretty verbal. And my mother said to me one time, uh, one day, she goes, Nancy, she says, don't say anything. If you, haven't gotten so- if you don't have something good to say, don't say anything. So I walked around oftentimes <laughs> with my hand over my mouth. So, so, but I was brought up in a very similar household with strong faith and belief and uh, uh, <laughs> Had, I had three. I had two brothers and a sister. There were four of us. So yeah, it was a, always a. It was an exciting time. But I was in the middle, so I got away with a lot. They didn't. You know, you're looking at the oldest and you're looking at the youngest. But uh, us middle kids, we got away with a lot more. I think. But uh, no, it's a, it's definitely a, a book that you can read now. And and we do need we need light, humorous. If we lose our sense of humor, I think we're all done for. So my sense of humor has kept me where I am going, and, and my horse is in my good sense of humor. But uh, So where can they find the book and buy the book? And, of course, you, have, you do other things. You speak. You uh, do many, many things. Mentor and, of course, take the lead. We can't do without you there. We need you for sure. So That's right. Oh, how can they find the book? Well, it's available on Amazon, at IndieBound, at Barnes and Noble. It's on it's on Kindle. It's it's not an audio book yet, but it is um, available anywhere. It's available in libraries, um, and you could go uh, to my site, MichelleWeldon.com, and uh, read my other work. I write a lot of essays as well as working for Take the Lead, and um, you know the book is a is available um, everywhere, and it's out now, so uh, that would be greatly appreciated. Absolutely. Well, congratulations on the book, and I I do hope that uh, it's – well, I know it will be extremely successful. You've got got a great track record. All right, well, let's let's all act as (laughs) if we're having a good time, because you know what? I think I am now. Yeah, and I am too, because of you. Thank you, Nancy.